Okay, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and do this correctly the first time, this time, where we actually introduce ourselves to start rather than what my, an idea. my editing magic. <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> well, uh, my name is Chris Holling. And I'm Sean Cooper. And welcome to the... Uh-oh. Truth About Investing. Third? Oh, the third? Well, no. yeah, oh, I know three. that. Yes, episode three. Well, <laughs> welcome to the third episode about the truth about investing. Back to basics. And and then the music plays. No, it's boom, boom. I don't know. I can't. Uh... <laughs> Today, we're going to go over insurance premiums. We wanted to just talk about the, the different types of insurance because we addressed in an earlier episode when we were talking about deductibles and what the different kinds of deductibles are, the reasons that you might use them. But now that you have a concept of those deductibles that are down, uh, now that you have those types of deductibles down in your head, there you go, there's the English, then now we can sort of address past that. You can look at the premiums and some other plans that might work for you. And because you don't find these variations to it too much other than healthcare, I figure we're going to stick with kind of a healthcare side of things, right? Yep. Because outside of that, when we're looking at, say, car insurance, home insurance, basically either you have the insurance or you don't, like you might have liability or you don't, you might have flooding insurance or you don't. And this gets a lot more complicated when you're looking at how to get a hold of the insurance premiums and the options that you have and costs that go because it gets a lot more convoluted because you're billing through healthcare and not just through Joe the mechanic that's got two cigarettes hanging out the side of his mouth. It's a little bit more intricate, <laughs> I would say. All right. Well, let's let's get started into this. Let's let's talk about just the the first point is that usually when we're talking about health insurance, we are talking about this coming from a place of employment. That's the most common way to go about things, especially when we're talking about uh, what type of options because you're starting a new job and you have opportunities to get your benefits and then they ask you, do you want this or not? Because your spouse might already have coverage for you and your family and so you have to weigh which ones are going to be better and that's due to the employer covering some of the costs that go to the employee uh, and most of the costs in be, many cases right most of the costs and that's part of the appeal for both sides so that healthcare is a little bit cheaper for the employee as well as the employer gets it as a tax write-off because that's something that we were addressing in our history uh history of health care and history of health insurance right history of health insurance specifically right yes there you go um so ultimately, uh, I, I don't know that I have a, a big elaborate description of it, but uh, you have essentially your options of either it is through your place of employment or you decide that you don't want to have your health insurance done through your employer and then you get health insurance on your own time. Would you call up, say, Blue Cross Blue Shield? and say, I would like to have health insurance, and then you pay them a premium every month, and it's just a transaction between the two of you, and the employer doesn't step in. Whereas if you have your employer approach, 
then they say, here's a list of options. If you decide to go through us, you will contribute some. We will contribute more, depending on the type of plan that you pick. And then you get to, in a lot of cases, you get to use that money pre-tax to pay for that so it doesn't quite cost as much. I guess that's not always true, is it? I think it's only true sometimes. Uh, it's it's still going to end up being kind of the, essentially the same from a tax standpoint in the end. Okay. Um, so you might get it either pre- or post-tax as far as your employment transactions, uh, employer insurance. And it's definitely deduction. easier if it's through the employer because then it's just it's done. It's taken out and not right. taxed at it's the time. It's taken out before the check yeah. even gets to you. Right. right. Plus, they're uh, paying a, a large chunk of it, like we talked about, uh, where the, the biggest drawback to the employer offer plan is it is, I mean, they've basically done most of the decision making for you, which is a good thing or a bad thing, depending on who you are. Um, they've already decided who's offering the coverage, what the insurance company is, what type of plan it is, be it a PPO, EPO, POS, HMO, et cetera, um, which we'll cover later. But uh Whereas if oh, good, you were I was going to, to tell you to stop spelling in front of me. So. <laughs> Whereas if you were to go to the you know state marketplace is kind of what your alternative is if you're doing an individual or you could find a health insurance agent to help you decide uh, the marketplace is rather cumbersome and not terribly helpful. Um, the insurance agent ideally will be able to help you narrow down, but that way you have a lot more options in terms of which insurance provider you're choosing, what type of insurance uh, organization you're going with, and that sort of thing. Um, but you are paying for all of it instead of your employer covering a good chunk of it. So, And I, I'd like to address something real quick before before I forget, frankly, mm-hmm. uh, that as, as the listener, and you can give me your opinion on this too, but as, as a listener make sure to figure out what it is that you are wanting. Make sure that the plan meets you for your criteria because once you have that goal, you know what type of care you're looking for. You know what type of place you're wanting to go to. That way you're not paying out too much money or think you're paying for insurance and then you're not being covered for it. And the the reason I'm stressing this now is because I, I kind of get the feeling that if somebody hasn't really considered this before and then they go, okay, well, I've never talked to a health insurance agent before. Maybe I should talk with them. Don't go to a, it's, it's an old phrase I came across a while back. Don't go to a life insurance salesman and ask whether or not you need life insurance. <laughs> the answer is yes. That, <laughs> that's, that's not the way to approach these things. It's, it's something that you need to make sure that you are addressing on your side I mean, once you figure out what it is that you need to get accomplished and what it is that's important to you and your family and your coverage, then that's when you can start to move forward and start to make these decisions. If it helps, that was a good segue into um, the the whole decision-making process because when you were looking at all these acronyms that I tossed out earlier, it's really about just a few things. Number one, do you rather pay a higher premium or a lower premium and a higher deductible or lower deductible? And would you rather have more flexibility or less flexibility? So do you want the power in your hands or the power in the insurance company's hands or the provider's hands or the government's hands or what have you? 
Um, right, and there's there's not necessarily a wrong answer to that. That's why there right. are so many options to it, and and really depending on your your needs, what you like. Like if you if you lean more towards a, a holistic side of care and a uh, say a naturopath type type avenue, and that's how you like to have your health care, those types of things don't tend to be covered by standard insurance policies and so maybe a basic HMO plan is not a good choice for you but if you're not so concerned about that and you would rather go into the doc you don't care who you see because as long as they've read more books than you then you're the person that they're the person that you want to talk to and and they can fix you and you'll just follow wherever the insurance tells you because that way it's going to be cheapest then that's a great option too it's it's really a matter of what's important to you and what your goals are and that's that's why I wanted to stress on that for just a moment absolutely so you 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 brought up the hmo maybe we should actually dive into each of these so hmo health maintenance organization um very very uh closed in terms of your options and that sort of thing um but that allows them to control costs so it it, it's literally what it sounds like, a health maintenance organization. So it's an organization, a group of uh, providers that are together um, and then have agreed to provide services at uh, certain costs or discounted costs, things of that nature, which all of these are more or less versions of that to a certain degree. But they're, the HMO is probably the most stringent. Again, that's allowed them to do the most in terms of controlling costs, which means your um, co-pays tend to be lower, your premiums tend to be lower, the amount of paperwork that you have to fill out in order to get reimbursement and that sort of thing tends to be less. Uh, it's very good about covering preventative care, those, those kinds of things. So uh, a lot of savings, a lot of advantage from that standpoint but very little flexibility in terms of who you see, what services, extra services you might want to have provided, um, how they're going to reimburse for it, and things of that nature. So um, not as there much. There are hoops. Yes. There are hoops you got to jump through, and and that's okay. So if, if you have an HMO plan now and you you'd like to know the proper way to approach it, and you're fine with it, you just want to make sure that you're addressing it, you're not getting any surprise visits, then the best way to go about things is to A, call your plan ahead of time, call, uh, say for instance in, in Texas, they have this this great set of hospitals in Houston. Uh, there's a place called the Medical Center and there's hospitals on hospitals in there. And one of the big hospitals that cover that area is called Memorial Hermann. It's not uncommon to have a Memorial Hermann-based plan through Cigna, uh, which is what I used to have. And so you would call up Cigna and say, I need to make sure that I meet these criteria under the HMO plan that I have through my work. And then you give your name of your employer and they help give you a direction of where to go of who your physician is that's approved by your HMO plan. You go and you see the physician, you go to any of those Memorial Hermann facilities. And the first thing that you do is you make sure that it's you're, you're creating your own paper trail in a way. So if you know that you have an ulcer and you've had them before and you've gotten them treated this way before and you went and you saw this guy that treated it this way, that's fine. 
but they might not have that history. So they need to make that determination that you need this treatment. So rather than going straight to the person that you've seen before and say, hey, I got this problem, they go, yeah, we'll fix you up like we did last time, and then you give you medication and you go on your way, you're probably going to have to go and see your primary care physician or your PCP. There's going to be so many letters today. I'm so excited. (laughs) You go see your PCP, and then they say, oh, well, I think it's this. I'm going to send you to this person so that they can investigate further. And then if that person determines that, yes, in fact, you are having an ulcer, then they will prescribe whatever they think is necessary. But because you followed the path, that's what gives you that coverage. Even though you know exactly what's going on, if you don't take those steps, then you won't find that coverage because it's part of their pre-approved plan because you're playing their game and jumping through their hoops. Which, again, isn't necessarily bad. It's not necessarily a problem. You just need to know how it works. Right. HMOs actually became very, very popular early 2000-ish because of their ability to control costs. Uh, And that was the big topic. I mean, it's always a hot topic, being able to control medical expenses and that sort of thing. But that was their big selling point. The, The biggest thing that they ran into that people who had had HMOs or still have HMOs uh, complain about is it wasn't oftentimes things were denied so no you can't have that particular procedure it's not necessary they the HMO deemed it unnecessary even if your physician thought it was a good idea Um, that's where they ran into some issues um, and you know, they've probably dealt with that to a certain extent, but th- I would say that's probably the one area that uh, where they kind of clashed with their clients, if you will. Um, but the other thing Chris brought up in there was the PCP, so the primary care physician, which is a great segue into the POS or point of service plan if you don't have anything, unless you have something else you want to add to the HMO. Uh, uh, I mean ish there's there's something i do want to add to it i'll try to not throw you off track so so stick with me here okay <laughs> uh but along the lines of the hmo and this will tie into other pieces as well is that there's usually an an annual out of pocket maximum to some point and it it hits on different levels of if you're an individual versus family plan uh and and i'll i'll try to address that a little bit later but that means that through your plan, usually you hit a certain mark, and then once you hit that mark, which uh, let's say it's $1,500, then throughout the course of that year, as you are paying your deductible to see your doctor, to you spend $200 to go see the ER physician because you broke your toe, however much money you're doing, until you get to that $1,500 mark, then beyond that, then the plan depending on the type of plan that you have, almost takes over completely. Right. So what you're getting you... at is a, a maximum out-of-pocket, and it actually applies to all of these plans in most cases. Yes. It's just a matter of yes. how, and that's what kind degree. Of, yes. Right. And that's why I wanted to touch on that first, because it, it's it's important to know that when you're looking at all this, part of the appeal to the HMO plan is that it's very, very common to have a much, much lower out-of-pocket annual because of these plans. Correct. And uh, so when you're moving forward and you're looking through all these, and we're going to talk about 
uh, going out of network and, and these different models that we're describing, then to also understand that part of the appeal is to pay a certain amount until it locks out and then usually HMOs at a, at a certain point, I can't speak for all of them, but most will step in for almost 100% at that point because they control how their insurance is running because you're jumping through their hoops that they want you to do. Right? Right. Good? Yeah. So most of okay. these plans, whether it be the PPO, EPO, POS, HMO, um, they're going to have a system in which they will cover certain things with no out-of-pocket on your behalf, uh, mostly preventative care things. So, you know, up to X number of checkups per year, one to three typically, and uh, certain preventative care measures that you can take. That there's not going to be any costs associated with that. Then what they'll have for anything outside of that, they'll have a copay. So you pay 10, 20, 50 bucks. Uh, maybe it's a little more than that for uh, regardless of the service. If it's not considered that preventative care, you go in, you pay this, they decide what the visit is, etc. cetera. Um, and then yes. you end up paying either in some cases a deductible, in many cases a deductible, and you have to pay all of that before the insurance kicks in at all. And then after that point, the insurance will kick in. And depending on if you have a bronze, silver, gold, or platinum plan, those are kind of the typical designations, will determine if you are uh, paying 40%, 30%, 20%, or 10%, roughly. Those are just averages of the shared cost after that deductible is met. Now, you pay that shared cost up to what Chris was talking about, earlier of a maximum out of pocket for the year and then after you hit that maximum out of pocket typically the plan kicks in and pays everything really what you're deciding between is okay how much premium do i want to pay versus how much deductible do i want how much co uh, co-insurance do i want and what's my maximum out of pocket and and will these places cover what it is that I want to have covered. Exactly. And that's the decision you'll have to make in most of the plans that we're going to be covered. Yeah, absolutely. Because it it, it may be a variation of it, but uh, you do your research on on what it is that's important care to you and make sure that they are covered as you're making these decisions. It's it, it doesn't have to be a quick decision when when you are signing up for insurance and you're doing it through a business usually there are only certain times of a year that you are able to adjust your health care plan if you're doing it through benefits it's uh oh shoot what's the name of that called enrollment period thank you yep yes so there will be an enrollment period that happens usually about once a year but there are extenuating circumstances that offer the opportunity for you to change it say you get married or you have a kid uh, when whenever there's large changes and they these insurance companies will give you a list of what extenuating circumstances are and when you can adjust that there there are times that you can't just pick whatever you want and then just keep changing it throughout the year but that being said usually when there are large health care costs that are somewhat foreseen any anything apart from like a big accident or a big medical problem 
uh, if, if you have big life-changing scenarios, usually you can adjust it. So these are things that it's worth taking the time to make sure you make the right decision because it is important and it could last for a long time, but it's not going to completely lock you in. They're not entirely unreasonable. <laughs> right. Typically, uh, uh, a death in the family, a marriage, or a childbirth would all trigger um, a, a new enrollment period or yeah, those are the main or uh, being hired or separating from employment. Those would yes. also obviously trigger an enrollment period for you. So yeah. Absolutely. Now that we've addressed HMOs and a little bit about how those function, because we've got that taken care of as well as a little bit more of a foundation moving forward on these other plans. Why don't you talk to us about some of those other letter letter blah, 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 blah. talk to us about some of those other letters you were throwing at me? Certainly, uh, the different acronyms. That'd be great. Yeah. So two of the other ma- major ones would be a PPO, so a preferred provider organization, and a POS, so point of service. Um, there, a point of service is kind of a cross between the HMO and the PPO, so. I'll actually cover the PPO, the Preferred Provider Organization, first. Um, like an HMO, it has its group of uh, physicians and specialists and hospitals that it wants you to go to, and that's where you're going to get your best coverage. Or by best coverage, I mean you're going to pay the least out of pocket. So the the coinsurance is going to be the most favorable. Unlike an HMO, the PPO is typically not going to require that you have a um, primary care physician so you can see right you don't need to do that yeah, extra hoop you don't have to sign about. up for that you can actually go see a specialist without a referral from a primary care, care physician they, they are still going to require a referral to see the special a specialist in most instances but like I said you're not necessarily going to have to have a primary care physician physician so you can see any you know physician to get that that referral to the specialist if you want so a little bit more flexibility in that regard they're also going to cover out of network to a certain degree it's just the coinsurance is probably not going to be in as favorable so uh, you'll you'll typically have a deductible that has to be met and things of that nature that kick in uh, and the, the cost is going to be shifted more to you if you go outside of that preferred provider organization. Right. It's usually more of a, a percentage base where, uh, say, you're, you're looking at your PPO and you're following within the network that they consider an approved hospital, an approved doctor's office. Then you might be looking at a 25% copay versus an out-of-network one where it's going to be more like a 40%. Uh, excuse me, not copay, uh, a, a 25% cost of of the total bill versus a 40% cost of the total bill of, of whatever medical procedures were performed at the end of it if it's out of network. Right. Right? Yep. Absolutely. And so a POS, a point of service, is kind of a cross between the, the two we've talked about so far. And what I mean by that is the POS, like the HMO, does require that you choose a primary care physician from their, the plan network. However, they're a little bit more flexible in terms of what you do outside of that primary care physician. So you can go outside of the network a little bit more f- flexibly, 
Um, frivolously. That, that's, that's, that's the word we're Yeah, use. that'd be one way to look at it. Frivolously. Yeah. So <laughs> a little bit more flexibility from that standpoint. Uh, you don't have a deductible if you're uh, utilizing that primary care physician. Um, so the deductible no longer applies. It will apply, obviously, if you go outside of the, the network. Um, but in general terms, aside from that primary care physician, the point of service is going to have a lot more flexibility in terms of who you see and what you see them for. EPO is really quick, uh, exclusive provider organization. It's basically a PPO, so preferred provider organization, except even more stringent, so exclusive. I mean, it kind of speaks for itself in that it's really focusing in on a select group. Um, Outside of that, you would have the uh, more traditional indemnity indemnity or fee-for-service, which is uh, probably not as common today. It's uh, the more traditional form of any insurance in that as opposed to a lot of this uh, co-insurance and co-pays and things of that nature, it was designed to be for cat- catastrophic loss. So you, how do you how do you pronounce that? Indemnity? Indemnity. Indemnity. I've never even heard of this before. Oh, okay. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, like I said, the easiest way to look at it is just it's a traditional form of insurance. In is in it that is it more of a you're going to pay a X amount before the insurance kicks in at all, and then above that amount the insurance kicks in and pays the rest. So so sort of like the uh the annual out of pocket maximum. It's it's just a a variation of that. Right, except there's no confusion. Like there's no there, coverage until you hit that point and then right. they start kicking in. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah, so I mean think of it kind of like your more like your car insurance. If you have an accident with your car, you pay a deductible, then the insurance kicks in. That's all there is to it really. Um, indemnity. Yeah. I'm just going to call it I'm fee just for service it, is another way. Uh, to... Oh, that's not what I was going to call it. I was going to call it, uh, uh, auto insurance for your body, your <laughs> car, your, your, Oh, Oh, there you go. The true auto body and in, in, insurance, the, cause your, cause your, your body can be autonomous and an auto body. Yeah. Okay. That's, I like no, it. it's it's just it's so not even accurate. Indemnity. Interesting. Yeah. So okay. the other thing with it is it doesn't matter who you see. There's no group. It's just Sure. You go see somebody, you typically pay them and then get reimbursed. Right. And and frankly at that point that's where you are going to know, like our previous episode where we talked about deductibles, then you would want to know that you have X amount of money, whatever that whatever that ceiling is that you might reach in an emergency in a in a giant accident that you might have and you have medical costs, you need to make sure that you have that money set aside for your indemnity to kick in. Right. Yeah, and so that, that's cool. really what we're getting at with all of these is uh, when you're evaluating them, you're really choosing a variety of things. Number one, how much flexibility do you want or need? If you have a provider that you want to see and they happen to be in a particular network it makes it very easy you can choose that network hopefully save some money and give up some flexibility in doing so 
The other, another aspect would be the, the costs and whether you want the fixed cost of higher premiums with lower risk of out-of-pocket expenses down the road that could be variable or if you'd rather your fixed costs, your premiums were very low and you're comfortable taking on a little more risk with higher variable costs depending on what health costs you absorb. Right. And actually those those are those are great to connect into the last couple couple parts of this. Uh first I want to address real quick this this is a relatively quick note. Uh when you're looking at these plans you're looking at individual versus family plan. It's just like it sounds. If you're by yourself, you want an individual plan. If you have a family plan, then you'll want the family plan because then it's people that are other than you. Uh, but your annual out-of-pocket maximum or these deductibles that we're talking about, these these ceilings, these limits that you hit, they wind up being different amounts. But if you have a family plan and your annual – so say your annual out-of-pocket maximum is 1500 but with a family it's 3000 Well, if you spend $2,000 on your son because he's had all these problems throughout the course of the year and then you have another accident and you have a problem and your bill is going to be $2000 will you pay the 1000 at this point and then the the other any amount that occurs after that because you've met your annual out of pocket maximum has been met and that's when the insurance steps in for the rest of it that's a real gross understanding of it cuz there's a lot of steps on how how you get to that maximum because of copays and deductibles throughout the year and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. The other thing I would add in there is if it's an individual of 1500 and a family of 1300 and the son had 2000 in expenses, he's actually going to cap out at that 1500. And then sure. if you have another 2000 on your end, you're going to cap out at the 1500. Uh, right. So you, yeah. Um, until you and meet that 3000 Correct, yeah. So e- right. each individual is going to be at that lower amount, and then the family in total is going to be at the higher amount. So if if in the example, you know, the son had 2000 you pay fifteen, and then you have 1000 so you pay the full $1,000 um, because we're not – we haven't met your deductible or the family yet. We're at 1000 for you and 500 for the family, and then say the – uh, a daughter has another two thousand, then you just pay five hundred because you've now met the three thousand. So fifteen hundred, right. one thousand, five hundred to get. Yeah, to the and 3, I. Yeah. That's. Uh, um, it's so hard to go over these things with. Uh, hey, listen to these numbers without being able to to write it down and 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 all these things. But that's that's kind of the general concept is that you you will have a coverage for individuals but it does work together as well and that's that's just why I wanted to address that the family plan it does work together in these in these prices and these costs right uh, and the other the thing uh, i think you kind of touched on earlier when it comes to the individual versus family is if for example you have two spouses that are both working you'll want to evaluate if a one of them has a better health plan that all of you should be lumped under or if one of them has a plan that that spouse and the kids should be lumped under and then the other spouse should have their own individual through the, the company. Or if they're both going to cover everybody, so you have lots and lots of coverage, which I've heard people say is really beneficial for things like if you're going to have a kid or something along those lines. Um, it sounds like a lot of premium payments to me. Um, but you have to evaluate those costs and benefits for your family 
on an individual basis. Um, and then you can also, you know, add in the additional uh, complexity, if you will, of, okay, well, we everything I just talked about where you have two different plans covered by two different employers and uh, whether or not you're going to do individual or family on each. And then you also have the plans available through the marketplace that you can throw in there to, like I said, add some additional complexity. Uh, so it, it, it is, it can be a lot to choose between. So, um, but make your choices for what's good for you. Exactly. It's, it's just doing the research. Uh, there's, there's only a couple more things that I want to touch on, uh, uh, because I, I think these are these are worth mentioning, but we'll we'll try to not get too too over <laughs> too much overabundance into it. Um, one is uh, a variation of pretty much any of these plans. It's just an option as to whether or not you have it as a choice. Is a high deductible model. Yep. The the high deductible plan can be a variation of an HMO or it can be a PPO. It's more likely going to be a PPO, like we were talking about earlier, but this is no different than what we were talking about in our deductibles episode when we are talking about you have this threshold of capital that sits present and in theory everybody is very healthy and so you don't expect any costs to be coming up this next year and you have that cushion that you've created you have that deductible that you've created and it and it sits present in your account and what you're able to do is you're able to save a lot of money on your premiums because it doesn't cost near as much per month because you have a high deductible amount, but you are absorbing the risk of the amount that you would be paying and uh, almost to a degree of self-insurance, but it's it's a little dicey to do self-insurance when it comes to healthcare just because with how how large some of these medical expenses can be. I figure that's a pretty quick, easy note to mention for a second yeah that's fair yeah i mean like you said it it fits into technically any of the categories it's most common in the ppo um but like you said you're just you're taking on more risk personally by having a higher deductible which also means you're paying a lower premium the other big difference is the if you have a high deductible plan you may also have access to an hsa so a health savings account Potentially in perfect segue. Yeah, look at you go. Potentially an HRA, which is a health reimbursement arrangement, or even an FSA, which is a flexible spending account. Um, the HSA is basically an account that's literally set up for you, so it's not pooled with a bunch of other things the way insurance is. This is your account, almost like a, a retirement account, except specifically for health spending, health healthcare costs. So you can put pre-tax money into the HSA. Your employer may even provide some contributions into it that are non-taxable to you. And then provided you use that money for approved healthcare costs, it comes out of the account, pays the uh, healthcare professional, or you pay and then get reimbursed, and it is still tax-free as long as it was used for approved healthcare costs. It goes in pre-tax and is tax-free when you withdraw it, provided it's used for approved healthcare costs. So the HSA can be a very, very valuable account to set up. And it really jumps goes back into what Chris has been talking about throughout a lot of this of setting up those accounts to 
cover that deductible. So you want to build up that HSA to at least cover the deductible that you might um, experience. Now, with that said, there's only a certain amount you can contribute to an HSA on an annual basis, and it changes every year. Um, but there's also a huge advantage to building it up to much more than that deductible because as we age, our healthcare costs tend to go up and we won't necessarily always have the exact same health insurance and that HSA is your account regardless. So, And the, and the HSA winds up being this account that you are now using pre-tax money. So the, the bill itself uh, coming to your doorstep winds up being overall a little bit cheaper. And so it's a great option to have because then you're, ultimately your deductible is going to be a lot cheaper in the long run because you are now using pre-tax money. So the HSA is a great option if you are aware that there are going to be health expenses that are going to come up and you are going to be able to use this money to go towards health expenses specifically. And oftentimes these health expenses aren't going to be something that you're able to take the funds out of it usually rolls over into the next year and you can apply into you can put money back into it again but you don't really have access to it a lot of the time to actually pull that money out until you retire from that place of employment right that's been my experience that i found with those well with the hsa i mean you wouldn't actually pull it out of the hsa per se when you retire what you'd I mean, it's it's your in your account, so it just nece- wouldn't necessarily be held at the employer. It'd be held at uh, you know, it, it it almost be kind of like rolling a four hundred one k to an IRA, except it's still an HSA account, just not at the employer. It's at your own. Gotcha. You set it up for yourself, kind of thing, um, and then you use it for healthcare costs in retirement. You can continue to use it for that purpose, um, and that's a great way to do it because again, it's still tax-free when you pull it out for those expenses and unfortunately those health care costs tend to go up as we age and especially uh, in retirement so having that built but, up is a is a, a great asset but but again i'm going to stress it because i'm going to stress it every episode i'm starting to realize spending plan budget spending plan budget right because if you are throwing extra money into an hsa and you wind up Say say you're doing, uh, uh, what's a good example? Twenty four hundred dollars. So two hundred dollars a month. Say and I'm I'm trying to not use too many mon- too many numbers here, but say you're doing roughly two hundred dollars a month to pay into this fee. But that two hundred dollars a month probably could have gone towards rent. Probably could have gone towards food. If, if you're having these problems of of addressing your day-to-day budget, your day-to-day spending, and you are winding up overstretching and then having to use your credit cards, having late bills, and these things that are going to cost you more money because you sell yourself short ahead of time because you think HSA is the perfect option, that's not the solution either. Okay, I, I don't I don't want to confuse anybody too, too much, but if you have the funds and you have a good spending plan, then HSA is a great option for the long term as well as uh, to help save some costs on the deductible side. Is that a fair Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and like you talked about before, there is some aspect of predicting the future here because if these funds are built up in this account and you end up not using them for healthcare, you don't need them for healthcare costs, you pull them out for any other reason or somebody else does, it's all going to be taxable. 
um, and it's it's not going to be uh, advantageous to have had those in that account at that point. Um, well, speaking of trying to predict the future, let's try and address the FSA because the FSA is the flexible spending account. And I, the last part of what we really want to hit on, because I, I think I've managed to talk everybody's ear off already. Uh, the HRA uh, would be a qu- quick touch as well. But yes, oh, FSA. Sure. Uh, I well, mean, let's it, talk about the FSA and yeah. the HRA so, as well. HRA, much like the HSA, except it's the employer making the contribution, not the employee. FSA, um, it's the employee making the contribution. But like Chris mentioned earlier, um, it doesn't roll over. Well, that's not entirely true. Some plans allow up to, I think, $500 to roll over into the next year. But for the most part, it's spend it or forget it because it's no longer your money. I've never heard of one that rolls over, frankly. So uh, actually, Anastasia has, my wife has one, um, an FSA, and it allows up to $500 uh, to roll over into the next year. But anything else that you have in there that you have not used is gone. Um, it go, basically goes back into a, a pooled account for everyone and or more likely the employer basically just needs to keep it. Um, and so through the FSA, it winds up being a great option like the HSA. Uh, because then you still have pre-tax money that can go towards these different expenses, and and usually it winds up being a little bit f- more flexible to pay for. It's still healthcare-related things, but it winds up being a little bit easier to access when you go to these places when they say, "Okay, your copay is this. Oh, do you have an FSA?" And uh, they're they're usually a little bit easier to dip into. But you are trying to do what you can to predict the future, in a way, because like he's describing. Uh, if if you're only going to wind up with $500 to roll over, even if you're lucky, I, just, I haven't even heard of any rolling over, then you if you put $4,000 in there and you don't use any of it and then only 500 rolls over, that's a, that's a problem. Yeah. And The other thing I'd then, add to that is they're going to want to see documentation. Uh, the FSA absolutely. will not give you your money back unless you show documentation of what the expense was and what it was for. You, you want to keep everything you get from your visit so that you can send that into them because they will hold on to it. Right. And, and really a, a great example to me of, of a perfect time for an FSA, say your open enrollment comes around and you know, for a fact that you've got a kid on the way, or you, you know, that there's, there's been a, a surgery that you've been postponing for some time because it's, it's been something that's may, maybe your, your fingers all, Cattywampus. Yeah, that's a that's a technical term. <laughs> uh, and so you you know that it's time to get that taken care of. Then an FSA is a great opportunity to go. I know I'm going to be spending money this year. I'm going to set money aside. It's going to be pre-tax. It's going to save me money in the long run. But you need to know that these expenses are coming. Yes, you, you want to know it for sure. <laughs> otherwise, you you run the risk of at the end of the year it it just came up and and you didn't poof. use it uh poof gone gone no longer uh, so, your money great opportunity but as long <laughs> yeah there goes all your your four thousand dollar beer money <laughs> yep. that's i i i can't imagine spending that much on beer ever uh <laughs> okay uh let's see is is there 
Is there anything else that we're forgetting here? Let's see. We talked about HMO, high uh, prepaid PPO. We, we touched on that a little bit in previous episodes. Uh, there are prepaid plans. Typically, those are offered by either individual physicians or groups of physicians in which you are actually paying the, uh, the, the network itself as opposed to a third party. So there, there's not a third party involved where you pay them, the third party pays uh, the providers. Um, it's you're literally paying the providers on a monthly basis and then you're getting certain access to them. And the prepay is specifically when you're not going through an employer, right? Is what you're saying? Uh, I don't know if there are, are any employer-based prepaid plans. Um, yeah, that's certainly, hard to say. yeah. Employer-based prepaid pl- pl- plans, blah, blah, blah. right? Um, I, I think it would be feasible, but I, I, I don't honestly know if they're out there we're gonna go with surprise no. me but uh <laughs> yeah i mean the we're gonna go with no the prepaid plan though is very much going to be le- less flexible from the standpoint of it's only the group that you're paying because nobody else is going to care what you've paid somebody else um sure and uh but it also means the the benefits are laid out for you so you know you've already paid into this plan and now you get your guaranteed x service so you can go take advantage of that at as you need um so a little bit different in that regard it's definitely not a common thing anymore uh the insurance is definitely taking over in that regard and i would say the final plan is uh, cash yeah, there absolutely. are still if, physicians if that are all cash practices, and uh, they do tend to be less expensive, sometimes significantly so than uh, the insurance providers out there. Um, and that's because they are weeding out middlemen in the, this process. So, but it also means you are liable for the entire cost, and depending on the the group, either the entire cost up front, or they'll offer you a payment plan. So. Uh, but that is another health care option. And the last thing I would touch on would be long-term care, um, but that's probably a topic for another time. Uh, if only we were building up to something along those lines in future episodes. Are we? Ooh, <laughs> I don't know, are we? <laughs> so the plan would be make sure that you're keeping your spending plan on track. And you find out the plan that works for you best because that's that's the only way that you're able to make any of these choices well, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, choose a plan that works for you. Um, it's all about the level of flexibility that you want and the level of premium you're willing to pay versus the coinsurance and deductible that you're willing to pay. And we would tell you what's going to be on the next episode, but we have no idea. And it's going to be great. Yeah, enjoy. <laughs> Surprise. Surprise. Well, thank you again for joining us about the uh, I keep saying about the. I don't know why I keep uh thank you again for joining us on the truth about investing back to basics. I'm Chris Holling and I'm Sean Cooper. And we will let you hear us again next time. Is that 
It's almost forceful. That's strange. <laughs> you said let them hear us as opposed to yes. you will hear us we, next time. <laughs> you're so going to hear us next time. You better hear us next time. You better. Next time. Podcast disclaimer, disclaimer. The disclaimer following this disclaimer is the disclaimer that is required for this podcast to be up and running and fully functioning and moving forward. This is going to be the same disclaimer that you will hear in each one of our episodes. We hope you enjoy it just as much as we enjoyed making it. All content on this podcast and accompanying transcript is for informational purposes only. Opinions expressed herein by Sean Cooper are solely those of Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, unless otherwise specifically cited. Chris Holling, that's me, is not affiliated with Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, nor do the views expressed by Chris Holling, me again, represent the views of Fit Financial Consulting, LLC. This podcast is intended to be used in its entirety. Any other use beyond the author's intent, distribution, or copying of its contents of this podcast is strictly prohibited. Nothing in this podcast is intended as legal, accounting, or tax advice and is for informational purposes only. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation. This podcast may reference links to websites for the convenience of our users. Our firm has no control over the accuracy or content of these other websites. Advisory services are offered through Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, an investment advisor firm registered in the states of Washington and Colorado. The presence of this podcast on the internet shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by our firm in the rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without our first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant an applicable state exemption. For information concerning the status or disciplinary history of a broker-dealer, investment advisor, or other representatives, a consumer should contact their state securities administrator. Amen. <laughs> um, they, they prefer you, obviously. Uh, or, sorry, um... Yeah, you're gonna have to edit that too. Uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'm gonna edit the crap out of this. Yeah, I'm eating a scone right now. So Perfect. I mean, I might even have to edit um, my loud chewing. No, no. <laughs>